0: Will you pray this prayer with me? Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we continue our message series in the Gospel of John. Remember, John is painting a portrait of who Jesus is. And the reason John is painting this portrait of who Jesus is is because he wants us to see Jesus and to know Jesus and believe in him that we might have life. And the bigger story that John chapter 1, verse 14 sits within is the story of God's desire to be with us, and us to be with him. God has always desired that we dwell with him, that we know him and are known by him, that we experience his presence and enjoy his presence. And so for this reason, God created an amazing place, that he would be with us, that place where we would be with him. And then he creates us in his image and likeness and places us in that amazing place, a garden, where he walks with us, where he communicates with us, where we enjoy his presence and bask in his glory God's plan has always been that we would enjoy his presence and bask in his glory. And what that means is that we are most fully human when we're in the presence of God enjoying him. We're most fully human. We're most fully alive. We're most fully living into our created purposes in the presence of God enjoying him. Well, you know the story takes a turn for the worse. Where we turn away from God. Where we walk away from His design. Where we shun His presence. We disregard the glory of God and we set our eyes upon evil. And as a result of setting our eyes upon evil, we become Separated from God's presence and blind to God's glory. And separated from God's presence and blind to God's glory, we behold lesser things. We behold lesser things. And as a result, we become worldly rather than godly. The good news is that God does not leave us in our isolation. He does not leave us in our separation. He does not leave us to grope around in the darkness looking for him and wondering if we will ever be able to experience the glory of his presence again. No. God loves us so much that he comes to us. Jesus is the presence of of God. And he comes to forgive our sin. He comes to change our rebellious heart. He comes to renew our mind and open our blind eyes that we might experience his presence, that we might bask in his glory and that by the working of his spirit he might bring us out of darkness and in to lifelight. Out of Of error into truth, out of isolation into relationship with Him and with one another the way He intended it to be from the beginning. That's what we hear in our gospel this morning. And what we hear in John chapter 1, verse 14, should absolutely astound us, it should amaze us, it should cause us awe and wonder. What we hear in our gospel reading this morning is that God can do anything he wants, like become human without losing his divinity. We hear God became flesh. The word became flesh so many times. It's kind of, it's kind of old hat to us. And as a result, we lose the surprise. We lose that sense of awe and wonder. We lose the sense of, uh whew, wow. And what John is doing for us is he is putting the oomph back into the gospel. He's putting the wow back into the word for us. Would you open your Bibles to John chapter 1? Uh, We're going to look at verse 14 today in your blue Bibles. That's on page 886. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are Bibles in uh, your row. There are also Bibles in the Bible rack in the back of the sanctuary. I also want to encourage you to get out your journal Um, If you didn't bring your journal this morning or if you would like a journal, there are 50 brand new journals on the Bible rack in the back. Would you please grab a journal as we are going through the word of God together, as we are journeying through the gospel of John, as we are seeing this portrait of who Jesus is and what that means to us. uh, I want us to to look at the word uh, with an open Bible and with a pen and a journal so that we can hear the word and, and write down what God is saying to us so we can share that with one another uh, throughout the week. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. This is a startling phrase. The Word became flesh. I wish it were possible to approach John 1.14 as if reading it for the first time. The word became flesh. Mm. It was really startling when it was first written. And it was really startling the first time uh, we heard it or we read it. God became man. The preexistent, coexistent, eternally existent, supremely existent, second person of the Trinity took on the form of a human being. He became fully human, truly God, truly man, 100% God, 100% man. It doesn't compute, and yet he is, and he did. God became man. It's hard for us to really engage with any sense of awe and wonder and that sense of being startled. And so I was thinking this week, how, how can we recapture what it might have been like to have read that for the first time? And so I went back to the early church fathers and I, I wondered what was their surprise? What was their, their sense of awe? How did they respond to the word became flesh? You know what Chrysostom says? God's own son was made the son of man so that he might make the sons of men the sons of God. Umph. There it is. Augustine says this just as the words in our mind become embodied in the voice to communicate the heart, so the word of God was embodied in the flesh to communicate God's glory to the world. Mm. So how is it that God communicates his glory. How does he convey his presence? How does he redeem his design in our lives and restore us to his original intention for us? John reminds us that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is is really cool because the word dwelling literally means to dwell in a tent. So we could translate this verse, the word became flesh and set up his tent among us. Or the word became flesh and tabernacled in our midst. Now, when I go on a backpacking trip, there is no greater joy than finally making it to our destination and setting up camp. And the single most significant signifier of setting up camp is doing what? Setting up a tent. And there is nothing greater after a long day when you're hot, when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're ready to enjoy some peace and some fellowship to finally make it to the place where you're going to stay and set up your tent. Because when we're making a camp, when we're setting up a tent, we're creating a temporary home. And what that tent signifies is that this is where we're going to stay. This is where we're going to enjoy our time together. This is where we're going to be. To be thankful. To rest. To enjoy our friendship. To enjoy the beauty of this place. I love it when we get to set up a tent when we're going backpacking. This is what John is reminding us that Jesus does in our midst. Now, when the people in John's day heard the phrase, Jesus set up his tent among us, what do you imagine they were thinking about? What image kind of bubbled up in their heart and came to their minds? Yeah, well, people in John's day, especially his Jewish audience, thought about God's tent. I thought about the tabernacle. And there's no doubt that John's trying to make this connection for us. John is saying Jesus is the new tabernacle. Now, if you remember from our study in the story of God, the tabernacle is the single most important object in Israel's camp. Everything about the tabernacle, its dimensions, its colors, its furnishings, remember, was designed to communicate the character of God. And everything in the tabernacle was designed to communicate the identity of God's people in relationship with God and in relationship with one another. And the whole tabernacle... Everything about it, everything in it, its entire purpose, previews and points to the coming of a Messiah. Who is Jesus the Christ, the word of God, who set up his tent among us. So you remember the tabernacle was the center of Israel's camp. And in a similar way, Jesus comes to be the center of our hearts, the center of our homes, the center of our relationships, the center of every single aspect of our life. And that's why later in his earthly ministry, and John will recorded in John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus will say, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. The tabernacle was the center of Israel's camp just as Jesus is the center of humanity, of all time and all space. And the tabernacle, you remember, was also the place where God met with his people. That's why it's often called the tent of meeting. And what John's trying to help us see is that the second tabernacle, Jesus Christ, is where God meets with people today. It's in Jesus that God communicates with us and reveals his purposes for our life. It's in, it's in Jesus that he shows us how he is renewing our lives, redeeming our lives, and reconciling us to him and to one another. So the tabernacle is the center. It's the place where we meet God. And you remember the tabernacle was the place where sacrifices were made. And this is significant because it indicates that there's no approach to God except by means of sacrifice. That's why in Leviticus 17.11, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And in the same way, there is no approach to God. There is no experiencing the presence of God, of being redeemed according to God's design and purpose. There is no intimate relationship restored with God except by grace through faith and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, who is the tabernacle, who in the tabernacle of his own flesh offered himself on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. So just as the people in the Old Testament had seen God's glory manifest in the tabernacle, So now God's glory is manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, that is awesome. That is filled with, with wonder and surprise and astounding beauty because Jesus has set up his tent among us. You and I, all of our friends and neighbors and coworkers, this whole neighborhood, everybody up and down the Broadway corridor, everybody in this city, all the nations into the ends of the earth, we are all invited to behold his glory, to see him and thus see God, to know him and thus know God. Here and now, and for an eternity. And that's what John is testifying to. And he goes on to say, We've seen his glory. We were with this tent, we were with this tabernacle, we were with the Messiah, we were with the Word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Now, this is the key. It is in seeing the glory of Christ that we not only have life, but that we grow spiritually. And there are a lot of things In this world that we look at. And there's a lot of ways that we try and find life. And there's a lot of ways that we charge our credit card thinking that that will bring us meaning and purpose and that will help us grow and restore ourselves to the deep desire to be in the presence and to be in a relationship with God forever. And yet there is only one key to spiritual life and growth. And the key to spiritual life and growth is to focus on Jesus. Spiritual life and growth does not happen by focusing on ourselves or what we need to do differently or how we need to do it better or what we need to do more of or what we need to do less of. That's all religion. That's all trying to control your life and your growth rather than to surrender to the one who will bring it and cause it. The key to spiritual life and growth is focusing on Jesus. Life and growth happens by fixing our eyes on Jesus. By looking into the, the wonder of his face. And when we do that, the things of this world grow dim in the light of his glory and grace. Spiritual life and growth happens by fixing our eyes on Jesus, by beholding the beauty of his life, by beholding the beauty of his death, by beholding the beauty of his resurrection, by beholding the beauty of his ascension, by beholding his glory, which is the sum of, of all of his character on display that we might see him and know him and be redeemed by him and renewed through him and thus be restored to the original glory God designed us to enjoy in his presence forever. So let's say the Spirit of God's moving on our hearts. And we're open. We desire. We're even eager to behold the glory of Christ. How do we do that? How does this make practical sense for us today and tomorrow and this week and for the rest of our lives? Well, we behold the glory of Christ primarily in the spirit-led illumination of the word. Just as Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, so the scriptures, the word of God, are 100% inspired by the Holy Spirit, and yet 100% the culmination of God's people, Returning to him in the restoration of God's creation over time. And so as we read the scriptures, the, the Spirit is always saying, it all points to Jesus. It's about him. He fulfills it all. You see how great he is? And as we read and mark and learn and inwardly digest the scriptures. We ask the Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts that we might behold the glory of Christ. Holy Spirit, come and help me see through this scripture to Jesus. Because it's Jesus who gives life and it's Jesus who brings growth. And the scriptures are a window that enable us to see his life light and they're the window by which Jesus communicates his presence and his love and his purposes for our lives and so as we behold the glory of Christ through a spirit led illumination of the word by faith we respond yes I see you Jesus I see your greatness it's in It's in you that I find life. And so it is you that I long for. It's your kingdom that I desire. It's your righteousness that I seek above all else. And in that exchange, we behold the glory of Jesus in his word by faith. That's that's why we have the word of God open to us on Sunday mornings, and why we write and draw and doodle what God is saying to us to behold his glory. It's why in our life groups, we open the word of God, and we go through the five gospel questions. In this passage, what does it say about who God is, who he created us to be, how sin corrupts our God-given identity, what Jesus does to come and restore and redeem us and how we live in grateful response because it is in the spirit illumined word that we behold his glory and become transformed into his likeness. And we have a hard time with this as Americans. And it's not our fault. The culture is getting way out ahead of us because we get all in to our electronic apps and the verses on coffee mugs and we make it all about us and we try and just go verse by verse and apply those things to our lives thinking we're feasting when the reality is is those are just chicken McNuggets right? that's not feasting it's snacking And we've lost the sense of Jewishness in the scriptures and the Jewishness of our heritage. That this is the story of God and it's not all about us and finding our place within it and me, 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 me. It's about who God is and the story that he is writing to reclaim his creation and redeem his people, pursuing with radical love and the person and ministry of Jesus Christ who fulfills it all. And yes, we're a part of that story and he writes us into that story, but ultimately the story isn't about us, it's about him. And yet we have a significant role in that story, a unique role in that story. And so rather than just going verse by verse, verse every now and then we should we should read the story large sums of the story big meals of the story we need to do less bible study and more bible reading what happens when we behold the glory of Christ in scripture we behold the glory of Christ, the Spirit transforms us into the likeness of Christ. Now, the big fancy word for that is sanctification. And to sanctify something means to make it pure, to make it holy, to set it aside, to, to consecrate it for a noble purpose. And in this case, what God is doing in Jesus through his word by the power of the Holy Spirit is he is making us like him. And so when we behold the glory of Christ, the Holy Spirit makes us like Christ. Slowly, steadily, surely, as we gaze upon his glory, the Spirit redeems us and transforms us. He renews our mind. He purifies our heart. He changes how we think and how we feel, how we relate, how we live by crucifying our sin and raising us up with resurrection power. It's what happens when we behold the glory of Christ. Now, this is... This this loses its oomph a little bit. And so I was thinking, okay, how... How can we reengage this essential aspect of who Jesus is and who we are in Him? And uh, and I went back and I found something that John Owen wrote. John Owen is an Anglican minister and theologian, and in 1684 he wrote a great work called The Glory of Christ. And this is what he says and. I was tempted just to let this paragraph be the whole sermon for today. It could have held its own. Owen says this, one of the greatest privileges the believer has, both in this world and for eternity, is to behold the glory of Christ. It is by beholding the glory of Christ by faith that we are spiritually edified and built up in this world. For as we behold his glory, the life and power of faith grows stronger and stronger. So, if we desire strong faith and powerful love, we must seek them by diligently beholding the glory of Christ. Now, I know we're followers of Jesus who are Anglican and in America, but I know that 72 other million followers of Jesus who are Anglican around the world would have said amen to that. Somebody's got to say amen to that. For spiritual life and growth, it's paramount to stop focusing on ourselves and our efforts and what we need more of and what we need less of and what we need to do and blah blah blah. blah, blah. For spiritual life and growth, it's paramount that we look away from the lesser. Faux glories of the world. And behold the glory of Christ. This week, I want to encourage you not just to read 2 Corinthians 3.18, but to read the entire letter, the entire second letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And after you read it once, read it twice. And after you read it twice, read it a third time. And when you sense the Spirit is leading you back to chapter 3, verse 18, ask the Holy Spirit to show you Jesus and why this is central and paramount to our life and growth. And we all, who with unveiled faces, Behold, the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The curtain has been torn. The veil has been removed because Jesus has come and tabernacled among us. He is communicating the heart and mind and love of God to us. And when we see him, we see God. When we know him, we know God. And when we're in relationship with him in his community, we live no longer for ourselves, but for the very reasons he created us to live from the beginning, for the good purposes that he created us to walk in from long ago, In him, we are brought back into the presence of God, reconciled with God and with one another, renewed and redeemed to live out our part in his story, to share his hope and love to the world. So journal on that, doodle on that, draw pictures about that, create something out of wood or clay or papier-mâché around that how do you behold the glory of Christ? And in what specific ways can you behold him more in the regular rhythms of your week? And when we behold the glory of Christ, we see something very special. And what we see significantly changes the way we relate to God and the way we relate to one another. It is amazing what we see when we behold the glory of Christ. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. that you created us in your image, the original glory that you purposed for us. And even though we turned our eyes from you and walked away from you and set our hearts on lesser things, you did not abandon us to the darkness. You did not leave us in isolation. You came after us. And you found us in your son, Jesus. Thank you for giving us your very best. For sending us to shine his light in our lives. To redeem your image upon us. To reconcile us to you. And to make us your very dwelling place. By the presence of your spirit. Lord, as we come to your table this morning, tabernacle with us. Turn our eyes upon your Son, Father, that we might behold his glory in the breaking of the bread, that we might be filled and refreshed to live for him, and that as we shine forth his light, that others might see him in us and give you all the praise and honor. due your name in heaven. We pray for your glory, for our freedom and life and growth and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.